Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. The Agori Initiate sat atop the corpse of a pretty teenage girl at the grounds of the crematorium in Benares. He'd just consumed a full bottle of country liquor, a practice forbidden to Hindu ascetics but embraced by this particular sect of Shiva worshippers. It was a new moon, and his guru had helped him to craft a circle of protection around himself and the body. In fear, he attempted to shirk the rite and escape, but his guru had him surrounded with thugs, threatening that if he didn't risk his life atop the cold, naked body of the girl, then the guru would kill him himself. A creeping feeling came over him as he sat in the meditative pose on the girl and began his japa, or meditative repetition, of a mantra. A jackal appeared, threatening him. The animal's teeth pricked the young man's hand and licked up the blood that oozed out, and then Smashantara, a form of the goddess akin to Kali, appeared before him. She offered him anything he would like, and he asked her to send him home. This tale of a first confrontation with the mother goddess comes from Vimalanda, one of the more famous Agori masters. It was related through his disciple, the Westerner Robert Svoboda, in the mid-1980s in one of the few biographies we have in the West of an Agori. It shows the hallmarks of the Agori way, including meditation, uh, in and around death, the consumption of forbidden substances, and the prevalence of the goddess. The Agori pursue a left-hand path, or path through pollution into a state of non-discrimination, necessary to freeing oneself from the cycles of rebirth and the pull of karma. They are the only surviving group with a lineage stretching back to the 7th century Kapalikas, who famously worshipped Kali through distinctly unconventional means. Today on Occult Confessions, to conclude our ancient cult series, The Agoris. My name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson, joined by the Literal sisters, Olivia Literal, Grandmaster. Hello. And Bree, Metallurgic Prophet. Hey, guys. How are things? They're going. You're going. <laughs> They're rolling along. They exist. Isn't exactly an ancient cult because these guys are like around today, but we got oh. people want me to do the Agoris, so uh, we're close enough. I feel like I have no idea what this is. I'm the delighted Agoris? by it nonetheless. Yeah, Indian, yeah. Indian guys. No, I'm corpses. Excited. No idea what was going on coming into this, and that was a <laughs> that was an intro. The corpses are important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they, uh, there was sitting on the corpse. Is that I yeah. understand? Okay. You, you great. sit in the. Everybody's naked. The corpse is naked. You're naked. You sit in a oh. meditative pose on the corpse. I believe you stare at the face of the corpse, and you repeat your mantra. Well, because hmm. death. You're meditating on death. Literally. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Let's pledge it out. We, the members, we the members of the, of the secret, secret order, order of alchemical, alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. All right, so let's talk about the actual ancient cult before we get to the modern variation on the, that ancient cult. That's the Kapalikas. Kapalika, and, and I'm not Indian. Uh, uh, folks, tell me about my pronunciations. I get it. I get it. I'm doing the best I can here. Kapalika means skull men. They carried a staff tipped with a human skull. Also a second skull as a begging bowl. That's two skulls for one guy. I love it. That's what they're called now. 
Well, this this is the middle medieval group. Oh. Today they're the Agoris, but back oh, then sure. these guys okay. ceased gotcha. to exist. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so this was actually a practice some of the more traditional contemporary Agoris continued to do with the carrying of the skull bowl. Not the staff, I don't think. They have a staff, but they don't have a skull on it. So they just have the one skull now. Mm. So while the Agoris carry on at least some of the Kapalikas traditions, they're now considered extinct, the Kapalikas, that is. The Kapalikas pattern themselves after the Bhairava form of Shiva, an avatar responsible for cutting off one of the heads of Brahma in order to humble him. That's a story we've told. Yeah, yeah, Brahma was getting all up in his stuff, and so Shiva created an avatar who walked over and just lopped off one of his heads. The avatar then carried the skull around, much like the Kapalikas, as well as a staff. Another origin story for Bhairava has him emerging in eight forms when Shiva joins with Kali and the incarnation of her wrath in child form. So that again is Shiva plus Kali plus Kali's wrath, wrath, which is running around like a child. You put them all together and you get Bhairava, eight forms of Bhairava. Joke. No, there's too many guys. <laughs> there's too <laughs> many. Too. There's too many. Too many guys. The uh, Kapalika spent their time at cremation grounds. They drank alcohol. They ate meat, which doesn't sound so bad to us in the West. But uh, again, Hindus are mostly vegetarian. And they had various kinds of forbidden sex. Love it. Like you do. They may have engaged in the eating of human flesh and Bree's favorite human sacrifice. Mmm. They went naked, covering mm. their bodies in ash, so not exactly naked, and are, but they're wearing a thin layer of ash and <laughs> are difficult uh, to differentiate from other Shiva worshippers, including the Pashupatas. Just a little tangent here. Like the Kapalikas, the Pashupatas were ascetic, covered themselves in ashes, and worked through mantras, but their system was far more doctrinal than the Kapalikas. Uh, much of what is known about the Kapalikas has to be gleaned from their enemies, actually, so they're sort of like the Gnostics. And so perhaps the best way to understand them is through the practitioners who seek to carry on their tradition today. So what I said about the Kapalikas is more or less what we can know about them. So I'm a, uh, am I, maybe it's bold of me to assume, but are the ashes uh, that they're being covered in human? Yeah, they're okay. at the cremation ground. That's oh, yeah. I love it's it. People. That's what I was figuring. I just wanted to confirm. I mean, you're burned on a big wood pile, so if I'm being really, mm. <laughs> like, you know, oh, exact, it's... it's wood and humans, but... Nice. Yeah. That's healthy. Yeah. The Agoris are one of three groups to make the claim to being the inheritors of the Kapalika um, legacy. The Kaula path focused on the worship of Shiva and Shakti, the goddess, another version of the goddess. The Kaula, like the Agori, seeks to overcome aversion, particularly to the impure, and thereby transcend difference. So by aversion, I mean like anything that you're disgusted by. You're like, ooh, not that. Mm. We gotta get over that. Like death. Dead people. Sure. Just sit on them. I feel like there's other things that I'm more averse to, though. Than death? Yeah. Well, you gotta get over that, too. But Okay. But can you cover yourself in whatever the other thing I, is? I hope not. Okay. Yeah, like urine and stuff. No, I just want to be covered in death. Thank yeah, you, you. got to get over all that. Uh, Kaula, the group, focused on group rituals and gave special attention to sexual union between the initiated male and female, or yogini and sita. So they did have men and women in the in the Kaula, or they do, uh, and but it's all it's it's more focused on sex magic, what we would call it in the West. 
Sex can only lead to heightened consciousness in the special case that both partners remain focused on Bhairava, spiritual revelation. So if you're having too much of a good time and you forget to think about Bhairava, it doesn't work. Mm. It sounds a little sex magic-y, though, right? You got to focus on what you're manifesting. Yeah. While the Agoris tend to be less interested in sex, they share the Kaula's focus on mantras built up of the seeds of phonemes of the Sanskrit alphabet. So my grammar nerds out there, uh, that's basically what a mantra is, is just putting little phonemes together. And the phonemes are the pieces of words. So all the words in the English language are composed of a smaller set of phonemes. And you put them all together and you have words. Oh. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I hadn't really thought about mantras before, but so a mantra is not a word. That's it's kind of weird to think about. Putting down, putting together word parts. Yeah. Or just the word parts themselves. Yeah, I guess I never thought about what a mantra yeah. actually was. Next time someone yeah. tries to put their mantra on me, I'm gonna be like, "Whoa, take those word parts, <laughs> turn around, put take, them back." Take your word Does that parts happen a lot when it. people put their mantras on you? Yeah, all they're, constantly. They're like, "Hey." Are, <laughs> I've listened to this, this mantra I have. Put this right on you. Today, and I say, no, sir. <laughs> no, ma'am. None of those phonemes for me, please. No. Full words only. Not today, Satan. I didn't realize it just wasn't full. That's interesting. I mean, there are some mantras that are phrases, but right. yeah. I mean, like Aum, for example, right. is, is phonemes. Huh, that's yeah, pretty cool. The sound of the hmm. universe. The Agoris, who also pattern themselves off of Bhairava, are better known for their embrace of pollution as the means to realize the truth of non-duality at the heart of creation. That all is, in fact, one. So think about that. It, you get By getting over your aversions, what you're averse to keeps you separate from it, but actually it is you and you are it, so you need to get over the aversion to realize the non-duality. Yeah? I it's get like that. facing your fears. Yeah. Then you're not scared, supposedly. Yeah. Mm. In theory. In theory. <laughs> but, but your fears are you, and you are your fears. Oh, goddamn right. <laughs> you are the spider. You are the snake. They seek, in other words, to transcend the concept that some things are pure and some are impure by bringing the impure into themselves and overcoming their aversion and sense of separation. What causes me to shrink back from the things I find gross, wrong, or bad is what allows me to differentiate myself and hold myself apart. If I break the aversion, I break the sense of separateness. Perhaps the greatest scandal associated with the Agoris in this regard is their consumption of human flesh, namely the bodies of the dead. Yeah, I really forgot for a second that that's where we were going to swing back around <laughs> so, to. We were talking like, about mantras. We were, but yeah. they're just—they're not killing people for the flesh. They're just eating the already dead. I knew you would get into this, Brie. Yes, that you are correct. These people have died of other causes. That's not as bad. Yeah, seems tame compared to what we've discussed. <laughs> that's on not the like show. people. <laughs> I know the dead person might not have consented to it, but at least they're not killing a person to consume their flesh. Well, yeah, if you want to compare. Yeah, that's what I'm doing, Olivia. Yeah, I know, Brianna. <laughs> I'm comparing. Don't use my full name. God given full names over here. They're not like Aztecs or Catholic Inquisitors or anything. You're right. Right. That's, that's yeah, my, yeah. my point. Sorry. While many claim that they only eat bodies that have been donated to them, so there's consent okay. for you, uh, okay. by their former owners, in practice they use bodies they discover floating in the Ganges. Oh, just think about that, that just is not... I'm just worried about the health. That's what I, my first thought was. Yeah, they don't tend to. These guys, everything that we know about like good hygiene, that you got to toss that out the window. Because not only do you have to deal with the 
our body cavities hold so much bacteria that sure. when we die, oh, especially yeah. if you're in like a river for a while or a body of water, you're going to bloat. All that comes out and everything is contaminated with it. Not to mention that, but also everything in that body of water. Well, and then you're not even getting into like the fact that we, 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 we did chemicals. We, sh- we should not eat people, our brains. Oh, yeah. I just mean it could physically kill you no sure well yeah, yeah but also <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think the this is my guess both of you that they don't eat so much of the person like they maybe eat just enough that it won't kill them i guess like how many dead people are they just sporadic if they're not actually killing people how many dead people are just like there at a time they got to fish them out of the river so and i feel like if they do it enough i guess they would have a pretty decent gauge of like where the boundary would be why is everyone in the river well they're not (laughs) it's it's probably like a a homeless person oh okay i was about to say why are they fishing in the river if you have a family you would not just be floating in the river you'd be cremated Oh. In Benares, but you go to Benares. Benares is like a famous death site. It's where you go to be cremated. So it's also possible if you're a beggar or something that you could go there to die. Oh. So you're more likely to find a body in the river in Benares. So you're aware, though, in this society, you almost are giving consent <laughs> by just showing up. To, yeah. Well, by being yeah. a part yeah. of the society and the social contract, right? You're almost saying like, I acknowledge that this happens and that this, this could happen, happen to me. To me. Yeah, it's a true. form of consent. So that's different then to me. <laughs> I mean, you could also die in the streets and be tossed in the river. That's a little. But if you're still a part of that society, yeah. If you're in Benares, I guess it's. I feel like you ultimately acknowledge that. Mm. Yeah. Not that. If you haven't made other arrangements. Yeah. The Agoris, uh, as I'm saying, are housed in Benares, the site of two of India's most sacred cremation grounds along the river. Uh, Benares, also known as Varanasi, uh, is often considered the spiritual capital of India. It's a place of pilgrimage and a popular spot for funeral rites. The Ganges is India's most sacred river of the seven sacred rivers of India and descends from the glaciers of the Himalayas. That's fancy. Yeah. So it's like pure. The glacier water is pure, but then it comes down where it's polluted and you know, bodies get into it and stuff. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It is illegal to defecate in the river. Oh. But many defecate beside the river. Uh <laughs> And just to spite that rule, or you gotta, you can't stop a view. It's about you know? the letter of the law, yeah, and then it huh. just gets washed in, of course. Uh, <laughs> and in the city, trash is continually dumped to the nearest outside space, where it is eventually carried to the next outside space, and on and on, eventually finding its way into the river. Is huh. this like still now? I think this is still the case. So the, I read an ethnography uh, that's probably 2000-ish. And so, I guess a lot of people might be dying in a day. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like, yeah, I, I may up our body or, count. Or are they just like not truly as effective? Like, I don't know. I mean, you're going to float down there. Anyway, <laughs> you've got, you got a distance to travel. you got to be at the right place at the right time. Similarly, bodies and ashes are emptied in the Ganges, and mm. so she is often called a polluted river, but at the same time, the water is regarded as the most pure for its like sacredness. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. The sacred, and because it, it cleans all the pollution, like mm. it, it wipes it away. The sacredness of the Ganges works in two directions, as illustrated by the ethnographer I mentioned, Ron Barrett. It carries pollution away insofar as it embraces all who enter her, uh, regardless of how dirty, and then she can purify through ingestion. (laughs) 
which you're both saying is a bad plan. Okay. But I, uh, it's a little like River Jordan water for Christians and, and Jews. Right. And, okay. Yeah. In carrying pollution away, she is a vast body of water minimizing and removing the nastiness. In purifying, she's a tiny drop of water that turns all it comes in contact with clean. You mm. see? Yeah. Okay. Barrett talks about transporting or transforming. Indian families accompany the bodies of the deceased for every stage of the rites around their disposal from their burning to the dumping of the ashes into the Ganges, and so the Agoris only eat the bodies, as I said, of those who die indigent without a family to defend them or pay for their cremation. So this smack your hand if you try to eat their relatives. <laughs> Please leave Aunt Lisa alone. <laughs> Don't touch that body. The body ends up in the Ganges. So, I mean, but that's not, that's not an American practice. Like, when our relatives die, like, somebody comes and just takes them away. We don't see them again for a while. Yeah. I mean, when Dad died, I, I don't think I did see him again. That was it. And the next I saw him, he was in a box, a little we box. We surprisingly did. We did. Yeah. But we have yeah. no, I still have no idea why they even did that, because they just cremated him. Yeah. I think it was just so we could say goodbye if we wanted to. Which was very nice. Yeah. It's a nice idea, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he wanted to just be burned in the backyard, so. Which I can also agree with. I don't know. I thought you were going to say I could also fix, and I was like. There's some laws (laughs) around that. Yeah. We can find a way around those problems. He probably would have been okay with being thrown in a river, too. (laughs) I feel like the river isn't as fine. He wants to be thrown in Blackwater Falls. That's true. What sure. I'm trying to say is the body, whether it's cremated or not, ends up in the Ganges, and the Agoris fish them out with a mind to transcend their fear and aversion to death by literally consuming the dead, bringing them into themselves. It, like, almost, like, I get it in, like, a, like, an energy circle thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's all, like, it's not at all Wiccan, but it, do you know what I mean? Like, that idea of the earth is going to consume, but instead you're consuming. You're just, like, putting extra a, things it, in the circle. It's a transference of energy, in a yeah. way. Yeah, pretty literal in the way it functions. Yeah. Uh, but this is not a universal practice, despite its close association with the Agoris. If, uh, if you stay at the Smashan long enough, all you will be able to remember is that you are going to die. This is true renunciation, says Vimalanda, which Lord Shiva alone can give you. Wait, I'm sorry, we just took a turn. What is happening? Vimalanda's telling us that if you stay at the Smashan long enough, meaning the crematorium, oh, the crematorium, all you will be able to remember is that you are going to die. So okay, you sit around dead people all the time until all you think about is death. And then you get over it? Theoretically. Okay. I was like, <laughs> is there a good thing that's going to happen? Death is not to be feared, he says. Birth is to be feared. Whatever you are thinking about at the moment of death determines your next rebirth. So, you know, birth, anything could happen to you. But that death, a, only one thing can happen. I don't know why true. that like hit me real. I'm not gonna. I mean, you die, you die. But if you're born, it's kind of like thrown up in the air as to what's gonna happen to you. It's literally like the millennial equivalent of being like, "Well, I didn't ask to be born, mom." Yeah, there's the story of this <laughs> you know? this guru, <laughs> this guru who is uh, who asks for an apple and then he dies before he can receive the apple, so he's reincarnated as a worm. In the apple. Oh. So you're Sorry, any you attachment. Were like, I'm going to be thinking about this at 4 a.m. <laughs> the worm guy. Oh. So then his, um, his, his disciple 
realizes what happened somehow because he's some sort of like i don't know worm whisperer worm whisperer yeah and he kills the worm and then the the guru's spirit gets to go somewhere else and not be a worm anymore are these the morality stories you're going to tell your children <laughs> yes yes this is this is bedtime for us <laughs> your slightest attachment children i say he wants to be <laughs> yeah so i guess it's because he had any sort of attachment before death that's what shapes your rebirth so theoretically, these the, these guys try to free themselves of all aversions and all attachments so that their rebirth is more, I guess, it's in pure. their control. Yeah. yeah, it's like a clean rebirth. Huh. They belong to a family of Shiva-worshipping religious systems, but they often begin by focusing their intention on Shakti, the goddess, who appears to them in her terrible form as Kali or Tara. Kali and Tara are very similar, with only a few small differences separating them, particularly in their iconography. Both are depicted as blue, although Kali is more often described as black. Both are mostly naked, with Kali wearing the arms and heads of the slain, while Tara wears a tiger skin. Bit different fashionable sense. Yeah. Yeah. Both valid choices. The girlies are gonna girly. One's better than the other, but yeah. Tara wears a garland of skulls and a crown of skulls on her head. So they both have human heads around them. The eight skulls of her garland represent the eight nooses that lead to binding karmas. They are. Lust, say say with me now. <laughs> Lust, anger, greed, delusion, envy, shame, fear, and disgust. So you can see that last one in particular, the last couple is what they're really focusing on. Mm. Both Kali and Tara trod on corpses, sometimes identified as Shiva, and both carry a bloody knife, and both have a bloody mouth and a long tongue. Tara also carries scissors to cut the devotee free from the three knots that bind him to the cycle of rebirth. If you don't react with fear, she will do anything for you out of love, says Vimalanda. Mm. Huh. So when you meet her, she's sort of terrifying. Yeah. But your goal as the, as, you know, meditator is to transcend your fear of her and I, love her. I would probably love her upon first sight. Well, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you can head to she the crematorium. like a perfect woman. It's also just very poetic. Yeah, like a, it is. A lesson, a life lesson way. Yeah. Full of life lessons today about worms and stuff. The mystical encounter, like the experience of the body, is about overcoming aversion. This is the path to higher and higher degrees of understanding and freedom. Through Shakti, the goddess, the devotee can make contact with Shiva. The mother shows the child the face of the father, as Vimalanda says. For the Aghori, Shiva is the great destroyer, the essence of death itself. Shiva is nearly absolute in being, but not completely, since out of compassion he has taken on several attributes to allow humanity to experience him. This is the Aghori version of things, but there are some cults that focus on the goddess exclusively as the goddess can be viewed as the ultimate power. For the Agoris, they choose to view the goddess as a doorway into contact with Shiva. Hmm. Shiva's also, I think, a little... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Not ambidextrous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, he's either going to roast her right now or like... No, I'm not going to roast Shiva. That would be bad. Uh, <laughs> what is the word? Androgynous. That's what oh. I'm trying to say. <laughs> He's both right-handed and left-handed. Yeah, he has male. He can be presented as having male and female qualities, and he's often there's there's depictions of Shiva and Shakti sort of like as one being. So, yeah, as far as gender is concerned, it's pretty fluid. The story of the Agoris themselves. So let's okay. So that's 
we did some theology now. Let's palate cleanse a little bit, and let's talk about the history of where this sect came from. So we started with the Kapalikas, our medieval sect, then we took a break, learned what the Agorias believe and how they practice. Now let's let's do the history, which is what we're theoretically here for. Let's take a break <laughs> with history. Let's take a history break. Mm. The story of the Agorias themselves begins with the Babakina Ram, founder of the order. That's the Babakina Ram. Babakina Ram. He was born into a poor Kshatriya family. Kshatriya is the caste of the uh, no, ruler, the rulers. Oh, that's the, you want that. It's a pretty good caste. It's, it's not, not the top. A, it's, it's not a bad role, yeah, but it's, okay. yeah, the top okay. is the, the Brahmins, but then the Kshatriya are next. Okay, cool. This is pretty good, but you could still not be wealthy and be a Kshatriya. Because it's you're not hereditary. Getting... I, well, it sounds better than a lot of the other. You're not untouchable. Yeah, you're yeah, not a beggar that's and you're what, not a, I couldn't a think laborer. Of. I was yeah. like, what are the, the people that, the yeah, rats? Don't want to be those guys. <laughs> They're outside the caste system technically. They're just at the bottom. Yeah, so Kshatriya, because it's hereditary, it doesn't say anything about your family life. So they were poor, but it was an okay caste to be in. His mother was middle-aged and had nearly lost hope of having children, but whispered a prayer. This is, again, the founder of the Agoris. <laughs> we lost track. She lost hope of having children, but whispered a prayer and then conceived her son. Three holy men arrived to greet him at his birth. Does that sound familiar? Mm. <laughs> what time period is this? This is like the 1700s. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Uh, three holy men arrived and one of them whispered a mantra to him. Astrology suggested he would prosper if he was assigned to another family. So this is sort of a bit of strange Indian uh, practice here, to us anyway. So his parents, so they, they consult the astrological charts and they're like, he's going to be great, but only if you aren't his parents. Ooh. What a burn. Yeah. Oh <laughs> so, so the parents give him away, which gives him, he has three names, Baba Kina Ram. I think that gives him the Kina name. Um, I don't, don't quote me on that, but one of his names comes from these people, Kina or Ram, because he's adopted by this other family, but then he goes back home and they actually raise him. But he belongs well, to another family. That's a really interesting concept. Huh. Of being like... You get to keep your kid, but to keep the like good prophecy or whatever, you, you technically reassign him to a different family. And he, do, he does bear the name Kina for the rest of his life. So in a hmm. way... Yeah, I, I, I don't know if they're skirting the letter of the astrology or if they're, you know, if they're cheating the system or following it. Hmm. At 12, his parents attempted to marry him off. Oh, okay. Because, you know, you're 12. It's, mm. it's really time to start out on your own. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but part of the reason they were in a rush, 12 was a rush, uh, but, but they were old and they wanted to have grandkids. Oh, that's right, right, yeah. right. Uh, so because they were reaching advanced age, they wanted to get him married. But the day before his wedding, he called for a meal of rice and milk. Now, this doesn't seem strange to us, but when you call for a meal of rice and milk, apparently this is to comfort you because you're expecting a sad day. Oh. Sadness is coming for you. Soon thereafter, his parents learned that his would-be bride had died. After this, he did not marry. And when his parents died, he set off on a spiritual quest. In Junarg, he was arrested when the city leadership called for all beggars and sadhus to be imprisoned. He was sentenced to carry millstones. Instead, he used his staff to get them to move themselves. 
In the marshes, he met the goddess when she came to offer him food. Then back in his native village, a widow was going to be hung for giving birth to an illegitimate child. Babakina Ram offered to reveal the identity of the father and throw all three of them into the sea, but the crowd dispersed since many of them had abused the widow and could possibly be the father. Oh. oh, okay. I was like, we were about to riot on this dude. I was uh, like, he was playing a game on okay, the men. Okay, uh-huh. okay, okay. I mean, he's, there's, there's another Jesusy thing though. Like that's the woman taken in adultery. Yeah. He's basically standing up for the adulterer there, standing up for the ladies. Anyhow, the guru knew, uh, as I'm saying, knew that that uh, she had been abused by many of the men, and this is how he saved her. But and pointed out their hypocrisy all in one gesture. At the Ganges, Babakina Ram saw a body floating in the river and told his disciples that the man was not dead. After unrolling the shroud that the body had been wrapped in, which, you know, certainly feels like he's dead, the man came ashore alive and helped the guru to create the Duni, or eternal fire, at Krinkund, which then becomes the center of a gory worship ever afterwards. Lazarus. I was about to say, there's so many yeah. in the hmm. eternal fire. What was this, like the burning bush in here. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's some Old Testament stuff, but yeah, there are some Jesus overlaps in his story. Uh, this is long after Jesus. According to the ethnographer, and not in a culture that, yeah, studies much about Jesus. According to the ethnographer Ron Barrett, 11 ascetics succeeded the founder from 1771 to the present. So there's only been 11 guys to have this job from the 18th century till now. Up through 1978, these ascetics followed a fairly consistent antimonian path, meaning they did stuff that was outside of society's, you know, things that are okay. Oh, like taboo, but... Yeah, the to- antinomian, yeah. Antinomian. Means te- doing taboo stuff. Yeah, that's good, Olivia. Taboo yeah. stuff. Taboo like, stuff. Like eating dead people, for example. Some might say generally an antinomian thing to do so the next time you see somebody eating dead people you can say that's awfully antinomian of you and just give them a little pat on the head <laughs> yeah. a little candy and Go they'll on be off on your way, way. <laughs> yep. do Ooh. not engage with the cannibal you brought dessert <laughs> the last ascetic uh was bar burhau baba this was the last guru to practice the traditional model he's not the most recent guru though Okay, so like what year? Where are we at now? Now we're in 1978. Oh, that's a jump. Okay. Oh, that's right, because you said there's only like... There's 11 guys between 1771 and 1978. Wow, okay. Whoa. Now, Burhau Baba, I think you're going to like him. He was taken to hitting disciples and visitors with his staff, which was his way of blessing them. He also (laughs) cursed at them, and that's how he would bless them. It's some tough love. Tough love from Burhau Baba. Delighted. He was a big guy, Burhau Baba. Like many oh, Agori aesthetics, he would stand motionless in the river in the middle of winter for hours. Oh. Ice bath king. Yeah, yeah. Like the founder, he had been a member of the Kshatriya caste. He fought for Indian independence before becoming an Agori, so he was a, a war veteran. He held fish feasts, a sacred ritual, since meat was forbidden for most Hindus, and strove to give away any money he came by. He gave enormous tips to rickshaw drivers. <laughs> Because okay. <laughs> people would donate money to him. He would just give it to the rickshaw driver. Uh, and he, this, this is awful. He threw coins in the street. And then when children came to get them, he would chase them off with his stick in order to teach them a lesson about attachment. <laughs> That's rough. That's a little. <laughs> That's honestly kind of amazing. Whacking with a stick is a form of blessing. Uh, and 
actually not limited to the Agoris. It's actually practiced by other sects. The Naga sect, for example, practices blessing you by whacking you with a stick. It's, <laughs> it's such a, like, I don't know why it's so funny to me to think about someone just walking up and being like, yeah. And you're like, thank you. Thank you so I much. I feel the, the holy light just, upon me. I feel me. blessed. I feel blessed, yeah. I'm so blessed. Burhau Baba was said to be able to consume large amounts of alcohol, but the Agoris made an important distinction around drinking. Alcohol is a means to remedy attachment, but the remedy itself must not become an addiction since all remedies must eventually be transcended and left behind. So you would drink, but if you got attached to drinking, addicted to drinking, then you screwed it up. I, I feel like that's a recipe for failure. It's tough to is win it that game. good that they're saying that alcohol will detach? Wait. They're saying that because alcohol is forbidden and we consider it bad, that drinking is a way of curing that aversion. Oh, okay. So... But if you then become an alcoholic, then you haven't cured your aversion. You, you just created okay. another version. Well, that one seems a little bit like addiction should be in there somewhere. Back there. <laughs> it plays a role. I guess yeah. they weren't really worried about that. Because they did it in a prescribed way, you would, I think, drink from your skull. And <laughs> Very you, prescribed. Doctor prescribed. <laughs> doctor prescribed. Yeah. And you would pass the skull around and everyone would drink from it, which also feels a little Christian, actually. Yeah, no. Yeah, everybody had to drink from the same cup. So there, that, there really wasn't a chance to become an alcoholic. Like, if you're just chilling, drinking, you're not yeah. really doing the, the proper thing. You're not committing. The Agori who passed his drink and drank from the same container, container as his fellows was following the ritual, but without the ritual, the Agori could become confused with an alcoholic. And there are Agoris who, I think, probably just are alcoholics. Yeah, yeah. that would make sense. Sarkar Baba was Burhal Baba's successor. That's Sarkar. And he instituted a large-scale reform of the Agori movement. So things are about to radically change, tending toward the present day. Just say, um, your check, please. Mm, Sarkar. A, myster a mysterious old woman, the goddess in disguise, led him to Kreemkund, where he broke his vegetarianism for the first time by eating fish and rice, and then spent long hours in the cold waters of the Ganges, and fasted for days alone in the woods. Sounding a little bit familiar. Because remember, Burhal Baba is his guru, that guy we just talked about. Sarkar Baba drank alcohol like his guru. Just before founding his own ashram, he actually visited a husband and wife and drank so much while he was with them uh, and did not get drunk that it heavily impressed the husband. The next day, he invited, because they didn't drink at all, right? The next day, he invited the husband to pay a, a visit with him to the Tarapith outside Calcutta. And when the husband returned, he was Sarkar Baba's newest disciple. Honey, I'm home. <laughs> and I'm with this guy now. Yeah. Never let your husband go off with the guru. Mm-mm. Recipe for disaster. Across the river from Burhal Baba's ashram, Sakhar Baba set up his own facility where he banned the use of alcohol and sought to make the agoris more accessible to the outside world. So that was it for alcohol and him. Unlike Burhal Baba, he did not hit his visitors with the stick. Instead, he instituted the practice of healing people with leprosy and other skin diseases. Many of these ailments were believed often falsely to spread to, uh, by contact. But Sarkar and his disciples sat with the patients on their beds and held them close. 
Sarkar Baba's fame spread, and he attracted followers from India's wealthier citizens, allowing him to create schools and clinics in ashrams across the northern part of the country. Sarkar Baba also held women in particular esteem, modeling his doctrine after the Aghori's close relationship with the goddess Shakti. He elevated his own mother's status to that of renunciate within Kina Ram. His disciples were allowed to visit their families for as long as their mothers were alive, and he taught visitors to his ashram that husbands should honor the women in their lives as the divine mother. Goddamn right. All right. To that end, he advocated for the end of dowries in marriage arrangements. Nice. India does have a pretty old-school culture around marriage. Sarkar Baba's Reformation has been challenged on the grounds that uh, it has rendered the Aghoris more worldly and materialistic, maintaining too many of the trappings of casteism in their practice. He's received a lot of uh, donations and stuff. His guru and predecessor, Berthal Baba, complained that his disciple had banned alcohol from his ashram and visited when Sarkar Baba was away to command everyone to empty their pockets. (laughs) He then took what he collected from everybody in the ashram and gave it to a beggar who happened to be passing by. <laughs> he distributed a flyer around Benares telling the city that Bakwan Ram, his disciple Shak- Sarkar, was not his disciple and should be avoided. But ultimately, Burhal Baba chose Sarkar Baba as his successor to lead the Aghoris. So he made a big fuss about it, but in the end, he let Sarkar take over. Sarkar led them for 14 years until his death at the age of 50 in 1992. He'd suffered from diabetes and renal failure, and his followers attributed his early death and ill health to the fact that he had taken in so much pollution from the people he'd healed uh, that it brought him to an early death. So it's it's hard. You're not supposed to really die early in the Asian... I mean, this tradition, your, your practice is meant to keep you alive, but not this time. So are are we still eating people? Sarker, like, probably not laws? anymore. Under Berthal Baba, yes, and I believe, my understanding is there are still old school Aghoris hanging out. But if you're following the new guy, Sarkar's method, a lot of that stuff is gone. Well, I'm also just wondering at this point, is it like it's the world is slightly more developed? So are there like laws against cannibalism in this area? I think there probably? always were. It was never allowed. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess that's. But I bet you there's still bodies and things. What I read about was people like you would like snatch a little ash off of a cremation pyre mm. and you would eat the ash. Well, that's okay. on my strange addiction. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's <I'm>, fine. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. It's different. I don't don't know. worry about it. Don't worry about it. Go for it. Well, okay. I guess I was just wondering because if we're talking about the 90s at this point, you said 1992. He yeah, died. it's 92 that he yeah, died. Yeah, I'm about to be born. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so we're I'm way like, up are in we like eating present people? Day. I'm just wondering. <laughs> well, I hope not. So as well, I'm so, not eating we, people. We My never, Annette didn't. We never me. ate people. The literal hmm. sisters have never been fed human remains with our knowledge. Correct. Well, that's that's going to feed your reversions right there. And you heard it here today. Mm-hmm. As a result, dispel that rumor right now. <laughs> just so all of you know. Time to stop spreading that. Today, as a result of Sarkar's legacy, the Aghoris often heal, specifically afflicted children and those with skin disorders. So they seem to be doing that more and less of the eating of of dead bodies. That's kind of interesting. Barrett points out, the ethnographer, that the region where the Aghoris practice has long been a destination for sacred ritual bathing, particularly for infertile couples. On the legendary anniversary of the king Lolark Chath, uh, who discovered the healing properties of the water when it cured his leprosy, leprosy, 
uh, thousands of couples flock to the spring and bathe for fertility purposes on this like Lolark Choth day. Mothers then return to Kund, the Agori headquarters, to bathe their children in service of encouraging the children's survival. For treatment of disease, patients often come to the Agori as a last resort or in concert with other medical treatments, including Western medicine. The Agoris understand there is a placebo effect to their work and are healing patients according to belief. Many adult patients come for treatment of leukoderma, which is a progressive depigmentation of the skin that is not harmful but has a social stigma. I sort of thought about vitiligo, yeah, right. Michael Jackson, that sort of thing. Hmm. I mean, what he said he had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a huge social stigma around people with leukoderma. Patients with leukoderma can spread a stigma to their entire family. So if you have leukoderma, it means your family is dirty or sinful. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't already, they can't marry as a result of their condition. Wow. Dang. People don't want to marry them. For all patients, agoris, so it's important to cure it even though it's not really harmful mm. you see what i mean because of the social Socially. stigma yeah for all patients agoris prescribe ritual baths and sacrifices to the fire whether leukoderma or infertility the society views these ailments as a product of karma or spiritual pollution the agori healer then becomes the means of washing or consuming the pollution to affect he- healing through his transcendence of aversion and embrace of non-discrimination, the Aguri becomes like the river beside which he lives, a living, breathing Ganges, capable of cleansing and healing by taking into himself all which society rejects. That's pretty much all I have to say about the Aguris. Uh, did the best I can there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a culture that's quite foreign to us, right? I think it's fascinating, though. Yeah, it's interesting. They're interesting people. And, I mean, we don't want to paint with a broad brush. This isn't India. This isn't Hinduism. This is a very unique variant of Hinduism that is very purposefully running against many of the traditions of Hinduism. Yeah, I don't... I really don't think I've ever heard of these people before, which is why I'm like, I think I've heard the name, but nothing else. Yeah, I'm not sure why why we got these requests, but I'm glad we did because they're interesting. They were interesting to read about and to learn about, and I I think they do have weird uh, connections with Christianity, the leprosy healing and and all the the legends of Baba Kinaram, and it's strange the degree to which they seem to overlap, and I guess it points to that pluralism that we talk about, that these religions, all religions, maybe have some sort of root to each other. I mean, the notion that India and the West have some common root is uh, is a common one. That's why I always bring up the mountain. As it's always, it's a mountain. We all, it's always, I think it's one thing at the top of this mountain that we all have different viewpoints of. And for some reason, those viewpoints have so many parallels. Yeah, for the Aghori, and I think that my understanding is they would embrace this idea, Brie, that for them, this is their path mm. to achieve this. But yeah. they're well aware that there are, even within uh, Shaivism, the worshiping of Shiva, which is one small segment of Hinduism, right? Hinduism as the worshippers of Vishnu and Krishna and the incarnations of Vishnu. That with, even within Shaivism, they are a unique group and that mm-hmm. there are other groups within Shaivism and all those paths are perfectly fine. But yeah. this one just works for these guys. And I love that, that, that mindset. Cause that's what I think. I mean, I have my path, but I would never discredit anybody else's paths unless it's harmful, you know, to other people in their existence. But that's, that's the point. I think it's more common in India to have this attitude 
Yeah. As opposed to the Western world where traditionally we have fought really hard going back to Augustine <laughs> to decide the one true way and all the other ways are wrong. Also very fascinating because of how old school traditional uh, the country would be considered in a lot of their their practices like with marriage and stuff and it's like they have all of these hard lines but that's not the hard line for them there's something about hinduism and i don't want to be too kind about all this because we have to bear in mind that narendra modi in india is he's the trump of of india Mm. no politics my trump listeners if you're out there um but he's a nationalist and he's trying to remove Islam from India. Mm. So I, we are spe- I, 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 am, I like the Aghoris. I like what I've read and learned about the Aghoris. And there are many sects of, of Indian uh, culture and religion that I'm way into. And I think it's very interesting uh, and cool. But India is going through a moment right now with the purging of non-Hindus from the country. Which is not in line with what we're talking about not here. Not at all. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I guess I don't, I, it's, it's hard to say. There are people in the West, Christians, who have a pluralistic view and, you know, Wiccans. And uh, there are Wiccans who have a non-pluralistic view, right? All the witch wars and stuff. Mm. I am the right witch. You are the wrong witch. Yeah. So, I mean, that I think in any tradition, there's going to be this push and pull. Yeah. I really enjoy, though, this the, the idea of, what is it? I can't remember what they say in therapy, but it's the same thing where it's like in order to work through it you have to like actually go through it like you have to actually like you can't just like get better you have to actually like go through the shit to get better yeah i very firmly believe that that's a very true thing so i don't know i like that that's that they do it much more eloquently these guys intentionally (laughs) seek out the shit to then go through it yeah and i think that's like to be in a to be in a society or like a community that like believes from birth that you're like taught that idea mm-hmm. I think that's just so different than like here <laughs> like you're not taught like you're almost I don't know you're not taught to like avoid things and we're, but, like, I you're kind of, kind of feel taught like, to snuff those things out those feelings those things yeah. we don't acknowledge those things and if we don't acknowledge them they're not going to come back like, yeah they're fine but that's not how it is because if you don't acknowledge it it's just going to creep up on you at some point it's just, right instead it's of it just bad. being a societal thing i had to have a therapist like drill it through my head that like no you need to do this yeah and then you got to do all the work and do it but i mean that we got a, a lot of people out there with strong feelings about what the left-handed path is but is it not to some extent this is what the left-handed path is is confronting and dealing with your demons eating them to some right yeah eating yeah. your demons Rather than, as you're saying, Brie, avoiding them. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying to eat your demons. Uh, Unless they're but. very tasty. <laughs> but you do have yummy. to reconcile with their existence. You can't just ignore them. Yeah, you got to sure. wrestle with them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And these guys, I think, really are a, a model, an exemplar of wrestling with your demons mm. in a very extreme way, at the utter limit. Well, yeah, like the ultimate demon for so many people being death. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, just think about the image of Kali or Tara, the, the terrifying, you know, visage of the goddess. Yeah. This is not, you know, your big, beneficent, beautiful Parvati or something. It's not the beautiful lit up picture of Jesus, right. white Jesus <laughs> with his beard and yeah. his sun in the background. This is blue lady covered in body parts <laughs> with her tongue hanging out. And, I'm uh, delighted by her. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, there's a sexual aspect to her, right? She's naked. So, I mean, but it's, every, yeah. so she's such an aggressive presence mm. um, that, yeah, you just have to 
take it in. There's something comforting about it to me, though. I don't know. I don't know if it's because. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it's because strong she, women. Well, not even that. It's that you see that depiction and it's pushing in your face all like that. It's making you reconcile with those things. And to me, that's sure. comforting to know yeah. that, especially in and that's in that you know light that there is a goddess that like something so high of a power that is those things, if that makes sense. The comfort, I think, is that there's nothing hidden if you're mm. confronting the worst, right? Yeah. That nothing is hiding to sneak up and grab you if you're face-to-face with Kali. Yeah, no, exactly. That it's not like how, you, like, I don't know, like, with, you know, it's not like Greek gods and goddesses where you're like, no, you don't serve me, on to the next one. It's like, <laughs> no, that's, you yeah. got to face her, you got to face whatever, yeah. that's it. The test is whether you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Kalima. All right, let's bring it on home. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting in the secret order of alchemical actors until such a time as we get together and do it again. I know voices today. Sorry, friends. We were busy talking about Indian things. Uh, But good news. We are coming back with a new season. This is the end of our ancient cult series. So I guess bad news if you enjoyed those ancient cults. And I know people were really into the Gnostic stuff. Uh, but and Isis, people liked Isis too. But uh, it's time to move on, friends. Uh, and you should have liked Dionysus. Come on, come on. All right. Anyway, uh, we're going to move on to the Druids. Uh, the Druids originally I had intended to be part of this series, but uh, it's a fluid process creating the show and writing episodes. And as it turned out, I had more to say about the Druids than one episode. So we're going to do four episodes on the Druids uh, in our new Only series. Four. Well, I'm saving one for patrons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's going to do a lot of Kel- we're going to do a lot of Celtic mythology because uh, we posted a little something on the on the instas and we had folks. There's always everyone on the internet wants to tell you you're wrong so fast. Uh, but we had folks saying, "Oh, we don't know anything about the Druids." That's kind of true. Um, we don't know a whole lot of detail about the Druids, but we do have Celtic mythology passed down to us, which included Druidic characters and also a lot about Celtic religious belief. It was recorded in the medieval period, so, you know, there's all that Christianity that we have to see through, but a clever person can find the Druids if they're looking. So we, I did re- do some reading. I did do some reading for, with those clever people, uh, and I'm going to bring to you the clearest story I know about who and what the Druids are. I want to thank Olivia and Brie Literal. Thanks, guys. We did it. We did it. Literal sisters back, back at it again. again. We did not eat a corpse. No, we didn't. You and we see don't. what we were munching on on the side here when you were the literal you know, sisters on your do not. See now you're starting the rumor. You quashed. corpses. Oh, wait, shit, sorry, you're right. We, <laughs> we never have, and we don't like. The I can't taste, say never will. The salty taste of flesh. Okay, well, we don't like it at all. I don't like what hair in my mouth feels like. (laughs) Now I'm getting weird. (laughs) Here on Occult Confessions.